Welcome everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network Wherever we are, positively different radio In the morning you are with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson Lawson What are you grateful for, Lyle? Ooh, let me think Okay, so um, I'm grateful for a great team of elders in my local church Oh, epic! Yeah, we had a great elders meeting last night. No- last night, we uh, we planned the sermonic year for next year. Oh, wow! Yes, that like if you didn't know what that meant, which yes. basically the sermonic year is all the sermons that are going to be preached. The in themes, the year, right? yeah, the themes. Yeah, so we were like like a whole bunch of different themes. You, know, you preach for four weeks on this, you preach for six weeks on that. You know, it was yeah, a lot of fun. That's heaps fun. Yeah, and so you've you've like you're in there. How how often are you on the preaching calendar? I don't know. Probably a lot. Whenever? I hope so. I hope they give you lots of dates. Um, I hope you get burdened. But you uh, yes, that's right. I was just like, uh, this, is, this is how it goes. No, because burn. you do such great work, Lyle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lawson's like, I hope you burn out so I can take your job. <laughs> yeah, dude. It, you right. know, it feels you good can, sitting have, in you, that chair. You can have the breakfast show all to yourself. You know, you can do a solo. It'll be fine. I'll just yep. retire. Well, hey, you said it. Lawson will smash it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff. What are you thankful for, Lawson? Oh, so yesterday, thank, dude. Thankfully, the greatest shop ever is in my LGA. I went down to BBF yesterday. Better books and food. Went down there, got new Sabbath school lesson booklets for people from my church. Got um, vegan fried chicken, vegan roast pork. I got some patrini. Vegan roast. Yeah, it's the greatest thing ever. This is Lawson lusting after the flesh pots of Egypt. No, but, well, it's not because it's made out of vegetables. Um, It just tastes like that. But, yeah, no, dude, it's just, that shop is a wonderland of food and literature and it's, it's just the best. I just buy books when I go there. I just, I just get distracted by the books. The food is like, nah, that's Shell's department. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Wow. Yes. Positively yes, different positive, news. Yes, give us some positive so, news. So, you know how, like, half the time, well, probably I would say about, like, 75% of the time, 80%, maybe even 85% of the time we talk about China, it's usually some type of bad news. And we're talking about, oh, look at this crazy thing going on in China. I know I didn't talk about this yesterday, but I was telling Lyle about how, you know, they're banning, they're banning celebrities off Chinese social media because they're like, you know, they, they. Anyone, any male celebrities that look effeminate. Feminine, yeah. So you're not allowed to wear wear earrings if you're a uh, male person in China. Yeah, you're not allowed to wear earrings. And then if you're like on social media as a, as a Chinese person or whatever, but if you're like posting pictures of celebrities, then you'll get banned too. And it's just like, just, wild stuff it's pretty wild but check stuff. this out china has just banned written exams for six and seven year olds to reform hyper competitive pressure in schools what really? <laughs> yeah. so i read this and i was like wow like okay so so wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute we all understand that generally speaking um asians are very driven when it comes yes. to school mm-hmm much more so than us Aussies who yeah. are ridiculously lazy. Mm-hmm. And they always make us look bad. And uh-huh. as a result of that, uh, they are a demographic, you know, in all Western countries that completely dominate our universities and yeah. our academia. Mm-hmm. And I wish, I'm just like, more power to you guys. You've, you've put in the hard yards. You deserve everything you get. Yep. 
But at the same time, there is the danger of burning our kids out. That's right. Mm-hmm. And putting too much pressure on them. And the, what's the Chinese government is trying to address yep, this? The Chinese government have seen this issue and stepped in. Like it's um, So what age bracket was this again? Six and seven-year-olds. There it's, you go. It's also limited. They've also put in legislation to limit the amount of homework um, and tutoring per, like, you know, outside of school for... I never did a written... I didn't ever do a written exam when I was six or seven years old. Yeah, that's right. It's not part of Australian education. I never went to school when I was six and seven. I was roaring around the bush playing with sticks. Well, when I was six and seven years old, oh, well, you know, Cutting you could down say... Trees, we could, being you, a vandal. You could say that we did exams, but it was like, right... The word apple, uh, you know, write a short story about a king named such and such, you know, that kind of stuff. Whereas, dude, you, it, you know, you know, those really, really old school, you got me reminiscing now. You remember those really, really old school cross cut saws that have a handle at each end and it takes two people to use them? Yeah. So my dad had one of those. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I asked him whether we could use it one time because we weren't at school. We were just like being kids in the bush. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, sure. So we dragged this thing. It was like, you know, with like these two little kids who got this massive long saw. We dragged it way out the bush and started cutting trees down <laughs> <laughs> so that we could watch them fall. Yes. <laughs> just, dude, that's like, that's, uh, that's like the, the, um, the proto version of like an explosion. Yeah, it's like just watching right. a tree fall in the bush after yes. you cut it down. <laughs> it's like, and then you move on to explosions and shooting <laughs> out. <laughs> That's so good. But dude, this is crazy because like, obviously, particularly when it comes to Asian countries, now Asian people come to, you know, the States and Western countries and they dominate. But then in, in Asian countries themselves, like the, the reason they come over here and dominate, um, even if they're born here, like is because they have that drive and that, um, yeah, they have that drive so, and that pressure from their family yes. who, who grew up in that environment. That's their culture. Yeah. It's like, Hey, let's get this done. But obviously, you know, they've been seeing in China and a lot of statistics have come out of like China, Korea, Japan, you know, the, the big three of Eastern Asia that have shown that like, Oh, you know, there's so much teen depression and suicide and all these things that are like pressure put on these young people that are a result of the pressure put on by education. And so, yep, they've banned um, exams for six and seven year olds. They've limited homework for anyone up until the last, I think it's the last two years of high school. So up until you're 16, you, you are not allowed to do homework. Like the cheat, the teacher's not allowed to prescribe homework that'll take more than an hour and a half. Um, a night, which is still quite a long time for after school activity, but, but compared, because dude, like tutoring in China is a multi-billion dollar industry. Yes. Like because of how hyper competitive it is, you know, and the ranking systems and they want their kids to get through, get good grades, get jobs. But they've seen like, well, at least the education minister has seen that this is, you know, at the cost of. Mental health and well-being. This is the, the this, this is the statement that come out. Too frequent exams, which cause students to be overburdened and under huge exam pressure, have been axed um, by the Minister of Education Reform. So this is like he's like, yep, this is too much pressure. We're getting rid of it. Um, and, and yeah, they added that the exam burden harms their mental and physical health. So they're they're just like getting rid. Well, again, this, this is, is actually very advanced. Yes. This is really smart. Like. What they're doing. And this is so funny when I read this because I um, go to- You run this past Darren Pratt, who's our local uh, expert on children. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Dude, I ran this, like, 
Um, I didn't run this fast, but I was talking to a couple of weeks ago, one of my friends who I go to church with, she's from China and she's got a sister who is, you know, married and has a daughter and her daughter's this age, six yes. and seven. And she was telling me a story from, from a couple of weeks ago where her child got sick. Um, this, this like six year old girl got sick and she was like running a fever and everything, but they waited cause there was like, you know, it was like getting better and then it was progressively getting worse. And they waited until she finished her. She had an end of year exam. A six year old had an end of year exam. And so they waited to take her to hospital, even though like she's just like running a fever and everything so that she could do her exam. So she could rank well mm. in like for a six year old, she could rank mm. well, um, in her, like, you know, um, in her class. And it's so she, she did the exam and then they finally took her to hospital. And now, you know, there is like something to say about, oh, what are the parents doing? But that's the, the hyper competitive it's a culture culture that's been created, you know, by the schools and everything that, hey. China needs to send their kids out into the bush. Six and seven year olds should be in the bush. Yeah. Well, this it's is not the raining. Thing. This it's is not raining. Be in the bush. This is the step they're taking. They're like, hey, well, this is clearly bad for kids. This is not helping them. So we're going to, to scrap it. This is positively different news. Which is coming from, from the weirdest place in the weirdest <laughs> way. <laughs> like, like I, I did. Because I, I read some No this, one expected that. I read some of this earlier where, uh, you know, multi billion dollar. Um, tutoring company mm. just collapsed overnight with the changes that were coming through with China mm. and some of the stuff that uh, Xi Jinping had just you know signed into law, uh, kind of without asking anybody. And it sort of had me scratching my head. But now I can actually see what they're trying to accomplish. And I'm mm. like, yeah, you know what? Our world needs this. Mm. Maybe this is the advantage of a uh, a communist dictatorship is you can just get things done. Yeah, dude, you're at, mate, you're at the top and if you're like, oh, man, the, the well-being of our six- and seven-year-old isn't good, I'm going to sign one bill and... Uh, and the, but that's maybe, th- maybe, you, maybe one of us should become the dictator of Australia and we'll solve all the problems. <laughs> I'm wondering if there's some super harsh penalty if you're a school who prescribes an ex- exam to six- and seven-year-olds, if then the whole faculty is taken to a concentration camp and yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. punished. Locked up with all of the uh, Uyghurs. If you're a teacher who gives your ki- like kids more than an hour and a half of homework, you're like yeah, you go to a concentration camp, be re-educated, and yeah, your social no, credit think, score goes down. That, uh, yeah, I think they should be re-educated and with uh, extensive exams and lots of homework. <laughs> yeah, in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the teachers need to be. Uh, yeah, 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 that's right. That yeah, the teachers, the in, teachers need in, to. In, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Interesting. They need to be educated stuff. in how to get their kids out into the bush and to let kids be kids and teach kids how to be kids. That's what they need to learn. Mm-hmm. We're listening to. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Um, on the Faith FM Australia Facebook page, we are doing a T-shirt vote all about the designs of T-shirts and merch that we want to put out. So, guys, get on our Facebook page. Have your say. Get your votes in. Bilal, what's happening around the world? Okay, so the Anglican, Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches have united on a climate change statement. Oh, classic. uh, Which is interesting. These are churches that are all all very, very similar to each other. Mm. Um, And basically what they're saying is that we need to learn lessons from the pandemic and apply those uh, on the issue of climate change. And now there's been, you know, a whole bunch of things that have come out of the pandemic that have been useful for the climate and... 
you know, you've got you've got places in the world where you know they're seeing the mountains for the first time. Yeah, they're seeing the uh, you know the bottoms of the canals in Venice for the first time. You know, the list goes on and on yeah. and on. People are seeing things that they've never seen before because the world just suddenly got cleaner when people went into lockdown, mm. and they're saying, you know, we need to look at this. Uh, we need to look at inexpensive ways of being able to, you know, help our planet. Uh, some fairly strong statements right here. Uh, it says, we call on everyone, whatever their belief or worldview, to endeavor to listen to the cry of the earth and of people who are poor, examining their behavior and pledging meaningful sacrifices for the sake of the earth, which God has given to us. Mm. Uh, it is not only a future challenge, but an immediate and urgent matter of survival. Uh, we need a broader outlook that thinks beyond short-term and seemingly inexpensive options and that we don't deplete the world's uh, assets that are depleted for short-term advantage at the expense of future generations. So this is some of the uh, concepts that are coming out of this. I've been following this story fairly closely. It's going to be very interesting to see where the climate story goes yeah. as far as faith goes because obviously as Christians we all believe in looking after our planet. Yeah, that's right. Regardless of the fact that Jesus is coming back soon and is going to recreate the planet, we are stewards. This is not our planet. Mm-hmm. We can't do with it as we please. We have a moral responsibility to manage this planet and uh, that's where we differ from an evolutionary uh, perspective because we see ourselves as being more than just a part of the ecosystem. Mm. We are the managers of the ecosystem. Mm. So, yeah, follow this. Keep, keep your eye on this story. I think it's going to become interesting over uh, coming months, years. I don't know well, how I, much time. I think it's ultimately the application that I'm wanting to see. It's like, okay, you're making this call, this cry for Christians and others to help save our planet, but then they haven't necessarily given us a how. They're like, oh, just be better. Is are they, is there going to be some level of prescription of, oh, and this is what you need to do? I guess we'll see. Well, I think it's a matter of these three particular large churches have basically making a statement, we have joined forces on this, mm. which is interesting. It is interesting. When you look at it in the context of Bible prophecy. and Ecumenism. Joining forces. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> As I say, watch this space. Okay, the, uh, I, I did say that the Texas abortion law is going to be in the news, uh, and it just it seems like it's not going to be able to get out of the news. Uh, this is pretty radical in the state of Texas, and they are coming under attack from big corporations again. So there was a whole slew of the biggest corporations in the United States who have already attacked this law. The two latest ones is Lyft and Uber. Uh, sorry, Uber. Ah, oh, Okay. Uh, so Lyft is like another version of, of Uber. Uber. Yeah, Uber. Yeah. So, so Lyft and Uber have stated that they will pay the legal fees of any of their drivers who are sued for taking um, a woman to an abortion clinic. Wait, you can get sued for that? Well, I don't know. Like what? How it would the driver very, very, even know? It's... Well, Seems very odd to me, but that anyway. is so random. That there is, I, I am, I am guessing. I'm putting it out there right now. They know they, that they, they will, know this won't cost them a cent. There, there will not be a single case that, because there's no legal framework to persecute the driver to the abortion this is, this clinic. Is, this is the. Uh, this is the. This is. Um, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, st- this is basically. 
uh, posturing, social posturing. Yeah, dude, virtue singular. Virtue this is, this like, this is the, the single this is the weakest and flimsiest attempt at trying to prove that you are somehow virtue. for or against this issue. Virtual signal, virtue signaling. <laughs> there is no consequences for Lyft or Uber. That's the dumbest thing I've ever cost them a cent. Oh, anyway, yikes. that's what's happening right there. Okay, so church is no longer a place for all people. Uh, this is this is going to be something we're actually going to talk about with Michael Worker to some extent in just a moment when he comes on for the interview of the day. Uh, the in this is in particular in reference to the Grace Cathedral in California, which is an Anglican cathedral built in 1849, very spectacular building, mm-hmm. um, a lot of tourism going through that building back in pre-COVID days. And no, this is not a church for all people. This is a church for a very select group of people now. Uh, if you are going to attend that church and are over the age of 12, you're only allowed in the front doors if you have been vaccinated and can prove that you have been vaccinated. So, you know, the homeless person on the street that we're told to minister to who doesn't Mm. have the access to vaccinations that, you know, the average person does, sorry, salvation's been cut off for you. Uh, Somebody else out there who may want to have a vaccination but for whatever reason hasn't been able to because of scheduling or whatever else it might be, Sorry to you because you're going to have to wait until you get a vax before salvation is available to you. I don't understand how churches aren't private entities that have the ability to enforce their own policies on this. Why? Yeah. Okay, so they're placing... And this is all of the church's private policies. Okay. So this is the church's problem. Oh, so this, this, is, the, ch- this, is, the this church. is the church enforcement. This is the oh, church I, when you were, When you first were saying no. I'm like, oh, the government, you know, stepping it. No, this is, this is the, the church. church. This is the church. Oh, that's cringe ass. They have, they have freedom of uh, conscience wow. uh, in the United States, unlike Australia. Um, it's a thing that they have. Okay, so um, so you've got to be if, you, if you're 12 and above, you've got to be vaccinated. You've got mm. to be able to prove that. They're going to have limits on numbers. They're going to have social distancing. They're going to ha- require masks, uh, separate entrances and exits. Um, you have to register online before attending. Okay, all you that stuff. You have to sit in assigned seating. Sightseeing has been banned, etc., etc., etc. I've pretty much experienced all of those things in Australia. Yes. So whatever, and, are, and those... you can definitely accommodate people into that. Absolutely. However, America's a long way ahead of Australia when it comes to the virus. I mean, it's way more endemic there than it yeah. is here. Surely, you know, you've got you look at America, and all of my American friends, they're like, I've gotten COVID. Yeah, they're, same. They're, they're, they're either all they've all kind of gotten COVID and got past it, and everybody's living their life as normal. They've all just got on with their lives, you know. Yeah. You fly to America, and the plane is empty. Then you catch your internal flight, and it's just packed. Yeah, that's right. Because everybody's just like. Yeah. Whatever. We have moved on. on. (laughs) Uh, But it seems that some places they are pretty much the opposite extreme you see of uh, some of your more conservative evangelical churches. I'm I'm almost like, you know, when the Bible says that like pure and undefiled religion is, you know, feeding the poor and helping the widows. risking your health to help others. Yeah. And it's like, well, you've just proved what kind of religion you have. It's like as soon as the pressure's off. To, to be able to, as soon as you have an excuse to be able to not help those people, it seems like you've tried to not help those people. So, <laughs> passing by on the other side. Ooh, yikes. It's pretty cringy right there, <laughs> but anyway, interesting world that we live in right now. Yeah. 
You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. There you go. Well, joining us on the phone this morning is Michael Worker from the Religious Liberty Department of the Adventist Church. And, of course, Faith FM is a radio station that is sponsored by the Adventist Church, and so it uh, is good to get a perspective on uh, where things are at. I guess from you know from the from the standpoint of the Adventist Church, we've got a lot of different questions coming in from people of all kinds of different faiths on this particular subject. But uh, Michael Worker, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning, Lyle. Nice to catch up with you again. Now, this is a little bit more complex of a a uh, issue to talk about than what we've talked about in the past. You know, other other issues we've talked about in the past. We've got a clear biblical mandate. Uh, the Bible says such and such, and uh, it's something that we can make a very clear stand on. The situation of vaccinations, the Bible doesn't say anything about vaccinations. Obviously, they weren't invented back then. Um, mm-hmm. So that makes it more complex. Officially, where, do, where does the Adventist Church stand on this issue? Yeah, it's a really good question, and it's something that we, you know, as a church have, have wrestled with over many, many years. And I think it's important to say that, you know, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has the second largest private hospital system in the world. So, you know, we're very supportive of, of medical treatments and, and see health and well-being as, as a core to our values. When it comes to immunisation, uh, we, we do have an official statement that says we encourage responsible vaccination and we have no religious or faith-based reason not to encourage um members to to be vaccinated but then it goes on and and i think this is really important it goes on and says we are not the conscience of individual church members and recognize free will or individual choice and and so they're the two balancing aspects of our statement and our position and i think that's a very good balance to take when you don't have a you know a a plain dusteth the lord on the issue Hmm. absolutely okay so um from that, does the Adventist Church then support the idea of people either you know within or without our community having freedom of choice on this matter? Um, you know, and, and do we do we support mandatory vaccinations? It seems like we don't. It seems like we support freedom of conscience on the issue. From that statement right there, as soon as you mandate anything, it, it, it gets really tricky. I, I don't know about uh, what most of your listeners are like, Lyle, but most of us as human beings don't like being told what to do or when to do it. Um, we, we, we like to make our own decisions and, and, and that is part of the, the struggle of, of humanity. Um, but there are also times where we, we do agree with, with certain things. You know, for example, uh, we, we support many mandated things in society like seat belts. Most people are quite happy with the idea of mandated motorcycle helmets and and. You know, there's plenty of public health mandates that we have gone along with, but this seems to to strike a a, a real nervous chord amongst the community when it gets to the point that my choice is being taken away here. And uh, how do we balance individual free will um, with with what is good for the community at large? And and yeah, it's an ongoing discussion. Mm. From a religious perspective, um, one of the things that, that, that you and I chatted about uh, recently was the difference between freedom of religion and freedom of conscience. Mm. Um, how, does, how, how, do we, how is that, how does the difference between those two illustrated with the whole vaccination issue? 
it's a good question and a complex question, and I've, I've certainly spent some time talking with some senior legal people and, and uh, getting some some perspectives there. Certainly, vaccinations and mandatory vaccinations, um, it's not a religious freedom issue um, from a law from a legal perspective, unless the the faith that you belong to has clear doctrinal teachings or statements that prohibit vaccinations. So given the, the position of the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, that I've shared with you on vaccinations, um, a, a lawful objection to a vaccination is not to say my freedom of religion. It's not a protected attribute in our anti-discrimination uh, legislation and, and is not something that would provide a, an exemption or a way out per se if, if as a community member you're in an industry where mandatory vaccinations are introduced. Sure, sure. It's uh, yeah, a, a challenging situation. I've just got a bunch of uh, text messages starting to, to uh, come through as we're as we're um, as we're talking here. Okay, so just moving on from there, does our you know, as you know, being in charge of the religious liberty department, do we support liberty of conscience as a pro-vax church? Will we support the freedom of conscience of? anti-vax Christians who are either of our faith or not of our faith. And look, as a, as a, as a Seventh-day Adventist church, we, we support freedom of religion for people of all faiths and even, even those of none. Um, when it comes to freedom of conscience, we, we believe in free will. But again, when you look at anti-discrimination law in Australia, freedom of conscience is not a protected attribute. So if a person comes along and says, look, you know, I work in whatever industry. Let's take aged care, where mandatory vaccinations, there's a threshold date coming up soon, come in. And I conscientiously say, look, I don't want to get a vaccination. That's great. But our free choice will have consequences. And, you know, in 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 the near future, you won't be able to work in the aged care industry. Now, that's, that's going to create some heartache. Uh, in the aged care industry because, you know, there will be a portion of staff who, who don't want to be vaccinated, um, but there's no legal remedy available where they can come and say, look, oh, I have a claim at law to say that's unfair. Right. So then uh, if if we do support, you know, the, 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 the concept of, you know, religious liberty, if we do support the concept of um, freedom of conscience, what does that support actually look like? Are there tangible things that we do as a religious liberty department to support people who, you know, differ from us from a conscience-based perspective? Uh, yes and no. I mean, part of its capacity. Um, we, we have some people working part-time in this area and none of us who are working in this area are, are lawyers per se. So there are times where we do write letters or where we do provide advice to people who are experiencing religious discrimination to assist them to make representations to their employer or to their to their um, university or whatever that might be, whether it's a, a Sabbath issue or some other issue where they're being asked to do something that contravenes their religious beliefs. Um, 
so I guess it's on a, on a case by case basis where we we can redirect, where we can give advice um, as best we can. There, there is a Christian organisation um, that does specialise in where religious freedoms are being contravened, and that's called the Human Rights Law Alliance, and and they do some outstanding work in defending religious freedom, but. I'm not so sure that defending freedom of conscience because it's not a protected attribute is is an easy easy one to resolve. Mm. And, and on that one right there, you know, there's a question that came through here from a listener and uh, I'll just run through this one very quickly. It says, uh, will the church be allowing governments to determine who can... Oh, that was... Actually, that's not the one I was looking for. Let me just get the right one here. Uh, that was... Da-da-da-da. Um, this one here, uh, what legal freedoms can or should Christians exercise if wanting to refuse the vaccine for continuing to work? Happy to go along with other measures, not a big fan of taking anyone to court. Though as a Christian, we're in various ways benefited from others going to court. Just want to keep my job. I work as a home care worker. Um, more places as I apply for a new job ask, have you been vaccinated? So I'm caught between earning money to live versus the vaccine. Does this person have any legal basis uh, within which they can, um, here in Australia, choose to fight to keep their job legally um, while refusing the vaccine on a freedom of conscience basis? And that's a great question, Lyle, and, you know, I'm not a lawyer and, and I don't want to represent um, myself or the department I'm with as giving, giving legal advice. Um, and, and that's where an organisation like the Human Rights Law Alliance um, could give could give some advice. But, but as I said before, the, the advice I've received is that freedom of conscience is not a protected attribute. Therefore, it's not a, a, an argument that you could necessarily go to court. If there's other discriminations that are being that are being exercised in the workplace where unfair treatment is being um, displayed towards someone because of their objections um, that 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 are, fall into the area of protected attributes, then you know that's where the Fair Work Commission can come in and provide advice to an individual who who is feeling as though they're, they're on the receiving end of un, unfair or unlawful treatment. Okay, so um, yeah, it's a it's a complex one, Michael, and I do really appreciate what you are sharing with us here this morning. Just want to move on in some of the questions here. Uh, you know, what about a, a freedom of religion position? If a church has a doctrinal uh, position against vaccination, could they, under Australian law, be exempt from mandatory vax? Now, I'm not aware of a church uh, you might be that does actually have this as a doctrinal position. But if there is the church that does have a doctrinal position, could they win this one in court? Once again, recognising you're not a lawyer, uh, yes. but yes. from the research that you are uh, doing and what, from what you're seeing. Look, if, if there is a clear doctrinal statement um, by, by a religious community on vaccinations, then a claim for indirect discrimination could potentially be made. And, and I guess that's where... Um, specialists could give advice on, you know, what are the potential remedies. I, I think even though an indirect claim for discrimination could be made, um, the, the balancing of the, the good of the many 
versus the rights of the individual will, will continue to have to be balanced. And, and that's where I think a lot of legislators, governments um, and various organisations are trying to make the balance. You know, how do we protect the many whilst preserving the rights of individuals? And yeah, as, as a Western society, we tend to be very individualistic. And at the moment, you know, that, that, that is the tension that, that everyone is really trying to grapple with. Mm. And I guess that continues on the same thing with, you know, the large corporations. Qantas has been very vocal about, you know, only vaccinated uh, staff, only vaccinated people on their planes. Um, I'm getting reports daily of, you know, people who are working in the security industry, people who are working in uh, the courier industry who are losing their jobs for, you know, choosing not to be vaccinated. Private corporations, where do we stand with private corporations? Are they, can they legally discriminate in this way in Australia? That's something that's going to play out over the coming months because I think some industries uh, are testing that out and some are getting um, community support and, and legal support in, in making those positions and, and others are not at the moment. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's again, that balancing act. And, and one of the things that, you know, it's, it's challenging for employers at the moment because they're dealing with risk. And if, if they have an unvaccinated workforce and, and that unvaccinated workforce goes out into the community and transmits, what is the legal liability for that organisation uh, for introducing the vaccine into the places where they're delivering products, producing food? You know, what, what um, legal risk is on the organisation when um, the, the airline... Um, staff are exposed to unvaccinated um, passengers. So there's just so many facets to it apart from me saying I've got a right not to be vaccinated. At what point does a private industry have a right to say I'm not prepared to offer you service because of the risk it creates to my business and to my employees? And, yeah, it's it's... It, 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 it's a time in history where a lot of wisdom and cool heads is needed to navigate uh, our pathway through this. And, yeah, I think as a society we'll get there. Um, but there's probably going to be some missteps and some overreaches in, in every direction as we as we navigate that path. Mm. Michael, several people have texted in on, on this one issue, and I'm just going to read the shorter of the texts. Um, mm. And it says, have you heard that from mid-October to be able to attend church in New South Wales, you will be vaccinated? So there's kind of two questions there. I, I guess the first one is, is this something that is happening in mid-October in New South Wales? But the bigger question is, is this something that we are likely to see here? Uh, if, if you were to take a, uh, a guess, are we going to, where are we going to end up with uh, churches? Is vaccination going to become mandatory for churches? We see it, you know, being uh, discussed for, you know, other large gatherings, you know, sports events, entertainment venues, etc. cetera. Uh, what about churches? And, and at what point do we draw a line in the sand and say this is a religious liberty issue where, you know, we're called to minister to all people? Great question. And, look, we there's been no official word. I, I know um, that I'm part of a wider group where representations have been made to government that um, churches be classified as an essential service as opposed to being... Um, considered a you know a, a, 
not not an essential service. And what's the difference there? Well, essential service is like Woolies, Coles, um, going to the doctor, going to the chemist to pick up your script, where there's no discrimination whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. And and uh, you know we would we would see churches as the same, where we would want to see it as an essential service. I think there's a lot of people really struggling with isolation, uh, who who are wanting spiritual support at the moment, and you know we we don't our preference would not to be discriminate between vaccinated and unvaccinated in who can attend an in-person service. Having said that, if that is the way it goes, um, that actually creates a bigger onus and a bigger responsibility on those local congregations because the conversation is going to shift to say, how high do we have to raise the bar to protect the vulnerable in our community, which will very soon become the unvaccinated? And what other public health measures do need to be introduced into our places of worship to, to protect those people who choose not to or are for whatever reason unable to um, be vaccinated at this particular point in time. So the, the cry to say we don't want places of worship to be um, prohibited for unvaccinated people actually creates responsibility and obligation on those operating the places of worship. So again, you know, it's a continuum. Um, where on the continuum do you land? And where does our duty of care start and stop in that scenario? Michael Worker, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. We do very much appreciate the uh, insight that you're able to give to us on this very, very complex subject. We certainly didn't get time to get to all of the questions that we had coming through, uh, but we do appreciate your input. Uh, nonetheless, thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.